My name is Kevin Tony, and you're now listening to the Uncommon Sense Podcast. Black History Month, you find ridiculous. Why? You're going to relegate my history to a month? Oh, come on. What do you do with yours? What, which month is white history month? No, well, no. well, come on, tell me. Well, the, I'm Jewish. Okay, which I'm month Jewish. is Jewish history month? Uh, there isn't one. Oh, oh, why not? Yeah. Do you want one? No, no, no. I, I, right. I, I don't either. Greetings, good people, and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Sense Podcast. I had a conversation with my son we walk home from school uh, when it's nice outside. And about a week ago, we were having a conversation, you know, just talking like we do about his school day and, you know, what happened that, you know, what was his favorite part of the day. And he told me that they were learning about Black History Month. And I asked him, you know, what did he learn? And he said a lot. And um, I told him that, you know what, son? I said, I don't think Black History Month is so great. And he stopped. <laughs> and I walk on the way home and he said, what? What do you mean, Daddy? And I said, well, son, you have to understand that black history is American history. And it should be celebrated all year long, not just one month out of the year. And he had a puzzled look on his face. And so I went on to to give him this analogy. And I said, imagine, I said, son, you you know I think you're a great kid, right? And he said, yeah. I said, imagine if I only told you that you were great or special or you had done anything of significance for one month and the rest of the 11 months of the year, I didn't say anything about it or there was no emphasis on how great I think you are. I said, you wouldn't feel so good about that, would you? And he stopped and he thought about it. And I could see his brain analyzing it. And finally he said, you're right, Daddy, I wouldn't feel good about that. And I said, that's why we need to celebrate black history the entire year, not just 28 days out of the month. And so in the spirit of that, I have made the decision that 2023, this this will be the last year that I acknowledge Black History Month. Because, you know, as you heard in the clip opening the show today, the idea is ridiculous. Uh, that clip was Morgan Freeman. And this clip is, is it's an old clip and it, it resurfaces every year around the same time. And I think it's extremely relevant. And it's a very triggering idea for a lot of black people. And. I just feel like as a community, all of our woes and all of our issues are, are, to me, in my opinion, and I know it's not a popular one, I think they're all misguided and they're misplaced. And they're issues that are given to us. They're fed to us, you know, to feel a certain way. We... You know, the, the Black History Month, you know, everybody, people that don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're listening, it started off, it was it was founded by Carter G. Woodson, and it started off as Black History Week. 
It was just a week when it when it first started. And the idea was to put emphasis on, you know, black excellence. And it caught on and became popular and, you know, the government got involved and, you know, became this whole, well, a week is not long enough. Let's do one month. And they chose February, the shortest month of the year. And you can look at that however you want to. Uh, the month is the month, but it's interesting that the shortest month was was selected uh, out of all the calendars, calendar months. They chose the shortest month of the year for Black History Month. And I feel that, you know, here lately, Black History Month feels more like an obligation where your employer might, you know, roll out some program for Black History Month or, you know, you have a weekly email memo that comes out from the CEO for Black History Month. He might insert some quote from a black scholar, you know, within that memo in in honor of Black History Month. And it really starts to feel like pandering. It starts to feel like a show. In public school system, when I was a kid growing up, I don't I don't really remember, you know, Black History Month being I know I know it was, you know, I know it was celebrated within the school system. I know that the teachers at the schools I went to on, you know, elementary, junior high and high school level, I know that there was emphasis on Black History Month. And we basically I spent all of my public school years learning about the same black history moments over and over again, the same names over and over again. Of course, Martin Luther King, Booker T. Washington, uh, just, you know, going down the list, uh, Harriet Tubman, you know, just different, different things that, you know, Rosa Parks, all of these people, Megar Evers, you know, all of these names that you can think of, you know, every once in a while, some a teacher would throw in some information about Malcolm X, but because he was seen as radical, he didn't get, you know, much. He didn't get much playing time on the court for Black History Month. But with the advent with the advent of the smartphone and how we have access to information and social media today. Information about black history is 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 widely available. And I'm learning things that I never knew about, you know, the achievements that blacks have have made. Just, you know, all kind of, you know, amazing things that we've done that are woven into the fabric of the history of this nation. And I don't think that you can make a distinction between the two entities between black history month and, you know, between black history and American history, because they're one and the same. And the attempt to try to separate them, it's like a, it's like a fight and a reminder every year. Like, remember that these two are are separate. This is when we celebrate. And you know, there are so many things that don't get highlighted. You know, the 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 ugly parts of 
black history that you didn't know about. You know, there are so many stories that uh, don't get highlighted in black history. That's American history. You know, recently it's been popular to talk about uh, Black Wall Street, the Tulsa massacre that happened in 1921. And, you know, I'm not going to go into what Black Wall Street is. If you're listening to this, Google it. It's a it's a it's a tragic story. Of something that happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's the dark history of Tulsa. And that's become popular in the last, you know, couple of years. You have other issues or other stories that have, you know, kind of floated to the surface. Lake Lanier in in uh, Atlanta, in the Atlanta area, in Georgia, which is, you know, something that's that kind of hit close to home. Um, Lake Lanier is a man-made lake that used to be an all-black community that was flooded because whites in the area wanted a lake. And so um, they flooded this area. They flooded this neighborhood. They didn't really warn the people that lived there that it was being flooded, and so a lot of people died. You know, the community was destroyed. And they say that if you dive to the bottom of Lake Lanier, the community still sits at the bottom intact. The houses, the buildings, you know, all of that stuff, which is kind of scary if you think about it. And it's it's very disturbing. You know, those are stories that, that come to the surface. But where the public school system is concerned and education is concerned, I think that a lot of our emotion and a lot of our anger towards race in this regard is, is when I say it's misguided, I think that there are certain issues that we should be focusing on that we're not. And I think one of the biggest racial discrepancies that goes unchecked every year, and when I say unchecked, I mean there's nothing done about it. And so it's a constant complaint every year. It's a constant pain point for our community every year, and all we do is complain about it, but we don't do anything to make change. And I'm talking about the public school system within the black community and how year over year it consistently fails the children that matriculate through it. I want to play a clip of a story that came out of the city of Baltimore a couple of weeks ago. And I want to, it's, it's, a, it's a long clip, so stay, stay with me on this. And, and you have to, and the reason why I'm, I'm dropping the entire clip in is because you have to hear the entire story to feel the weight of just one example of why we, we need to target our focus locally on our public schools and demand more in terms of equality. So here's the clip. 
Baltimore City is facing a devastating reality as the latest round of state test scores are released. Our Project Baltimore team analyzed the results and as Chris Papps reports, there's a shocking number of city schools where not a single student is doing math at grade level. I see the brightness of Baltimore kids. It's now been more than a year. We're not living up to our potential. Since Giovanni Patterson made national headlines by suing Baltimore City Schools for failing to properly educate generations of students. We, the taxpayer, are funding our own demise. Patterson was born here. He has seen the failures firsthand. But what Project Baltimore just told him at first rendered him speechless. <laughs> My immediate reaction is take your kids out of these schools. The Maryland State Department of Education has released the 2022 state test results known as MCAP, Maryland Comprehensive Assessment Program. Baltimore City's math scores were the lowest in the state. Just 7% of third through eighth graders tested proficient in math. That means 93% could not do math at grade level. But that's not all we found. Project Baltimore combed through scores at all 150 city schools where the state math test was given. We found in 23 Baltimore city schools, there were zero students who tested proficient in math. Not a single student. Is this why you filed your lawsuit because of outcomes like this? Absolutely. Absolutely. It just sounds like these schools now have turned into essentially babysitters with no accountability. This is the future of our city. Like we, you know, we got to change this. Among the list of 23 schools, here's how the numbers break down. Ten of them are high schools. Eight are elementary schools. Three are middle high schools. And two are elementary middle schools. Exactly 2,000 students in total took the state math test at these schools, and not one could do math at grade level. These kids can't do math. You're not preparing them to buy groceries. You're not preparing them to do accounting, to count their own money. You're, you're, you're not preparing them to read contracts and negotiate salaries. We made the largest investment in public education by any governor in our state's history. Governor Wes Moore last week in his first State of the State address made his feelings about public education clear. It's one of his top priorities. We can no longer separate our vision for economic prosperity from the duty to make Maryland's public schools the best in the nation. After his State of the State address, Project Baltimore reached out to Moore's office, asking to speak with him about his plan to improve education. Before becoming governor, Moore lived in Baltimore. We wanted to ask him how he plans to help city students, especially those who attend these 23 schools. Governor Moore's office did not respond, but city schools did send us a statement with steps it's taking to improve math scores, including professional development for teachers, summer learning, and an extended learning period at the end of the day.
The statement said, We're confident these instructional strategies will help us regain the momentum and progress we experienced before the pandemic. Zero percent. What are you preparing these kids for? Are we expecting these kids to kill off themselves? I mean, we see the number of teen shootings happening just this year. What jobs do we, are we preparing these kids for? That's the future. Within the state testing data, we found three additional Baltimore City schools with zero students proficient in math. One is a school for incarcerated youth. The other two are for students with disabilities. We did not include them in the list of 23 schools. It's also worth pointing out, we found an additional 20 schools that had just one or two students who were proficient in math. We have posted all of these schools. Okay, so you heard that. You listened to what what was just played. Baltimore Public Schools. <laughs> I, every time I listen to that clip, I'm just like, I'm I'm left speechless because there's absolutely no excuse for these kids. Twenty three entire schools. 23 schools in a city where not a single student can do math at grade level. <laughs> I don't have I don't have any words for that. And this has just been uncovered in Baltimore, but I almost guarantee that you would see the same results in Detroit public schools. Philadelphia public schools, you know, all of these black communities, Chicago public schools. You would find results that are not too far off. And you heard the 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 information in the clip that says they went on to find that another 20 schools on top of the 23 that had no kids that could read at grade level. They found another 20 schools on top of that where only one or two students in the entire school could do math at grade level. So 43 schools out of 150 schools in Baltimore, they just throw the whole school away, throw the staff away, get rid of every everything that's happening. And I, I just... Listen, if you're in these urban cities or in these urban areas, you know, the gentleman in the in the clip, he talked about he made the statement that pull your kids out of these schools immediately and homeschool them. So if you're a mom in the Chicago area who made the decision to homeschool your kid, bravo, I, I applaud you. If you're a mom or a single, you know, a parent or a family in the Detroit area or Baltimore or Philly or New York or D.C., whatever, wherever urban area you live in and you have made the choice to take your kids out of public school to homeschool them, then I applaud you. Because these the school systems would rather focus on critical race theory, gender theory, bathrooms that, you know, 
kids can use or can't use. They want to focus on allowing boys to play girl sports. And I've said for years, you know, in the critical race theory argument where I've I've debated teachers and I would love to have a school teacher to come on the show that that we can have this discussion. I, I've I've debated teachers where they will tell you that critical race theory is not being taught in school. And technically they're right, but it's a sleight of hand. There's there's a there's some trickery happening here. Because it's not being taught outright. Like teachers are not saying, All right, class, take out your critical race theory book. That's not happening. Critical race theory is is being taught in praxis meaning they're practicing it. They're, they're weaving the ideas and the thought processes behind critical race theory into the curriculum. And they're doing that intentionally so that they can say, we're not teaching critical race theory. And so when they can kind of do this they try this Jedi mind trick where, you know, it's not happening and it really is. And you have these teachers that will be dumb enough to go on social media and tell on themselves. There are countless videos on Instagram, on YouTube, on TikTok, where you have teachers that are giving tips where they start the video off that will say, tell me, a way that you're teaching critical race theory without teaching critical race theory. And they're telling you how they're weaving it into the curriculum. They're telling you how they're indoctrinating the, chi- the, the kids in their classroom, the students, the public, uh, public school system is, is and they're, they're all totally on board on this. The faculty, the staff, the school board, the superintendents, they're all on, on board with this equity initiative in schools. And this is why I say our anger in terms of how we should feel about being treated negatively in society, this is where it should be focused. Even if you want to teach critical race theory and you come out and say, yes, this is where we're this is what we're teaching. What difference does it make if your kids cannot do math at grade level, if they can't read at grade level? And when I heard this clip about the Baltimore school math test, proficiency in math, I immediately wanted to know what the numbers were for reading, because I imagine they're probably not much better. Because when you can read, reading unlocks so many things that you have access to, and it makes so many things easier. Uh, reading will make learning easy. You you can understand better. If you can't read and you have struggles with reading, you're at a deficit automatically. And I believe that that's one of the reasons why the majority of these kids who are not doing math at grade level, I'm willing to bet the farm that they have reading issues too. They go hand in hand. You know, I grew up hearing the commercials all the time as a kid. Reading is fundamental. There was always this huge emphasis on reading when I was a kid. And this is just another reason why I feel like the public school system that I knew, 
that I came up in was far better suited to prepare me for a society than the school system of today is is suited to prepare these kids now. And this is why they're failing. This is why they're unprepared for college. It's a setup. These kids are being set up on a uh, public school level to be underachievers when they get when they graduate from high school, when they get to college. I used to reading was such, you know, a joy for me as a kid, man, I had books. I used to love to go to the library. I loved, you know, uh, when, you know, we had a book fair at school, I used to beg my mom for money. You know, I would bring the little, uh, pamphlet home that would show what books were going to be featured at the book fair and I would circle the books that I wanted and and my mom could see the cost so she would know how much money to give me when you know we when it was my class's turn to go to the book fair you know those were those were great times I liked being in the library because I liked I enjoyed reading now I will say this I enjoyed reading but I really didn't enjoy the other classes and I didn't realize at the time how reading would help me, you know, be, you know, efficient in these other in these other um, classes, these other subjects that I had. But now that fast forward, there would never be a, a scenario when I was coming up in school where 23, you know, 23 plus 23 to 43 schools that kids are failing at math and I wasn't the greatest at math. It wasn't my strong suit, but I knew, I I knew the basics at every grade level. I knew the basics enough. I knew enough to be seen as proficient at my grade level. And these kids can't even say that today, but we want to focus on what bathroom kids can go to we want to focus on putting policies in place that will take away parental rights we want to focus on you know giving counselors school counselors empowering them to make a safe space for kids to say well, if you want to be Michael at home you can you're free to be Michelle at school and we don't have to tell your parents they want to foster these temporary ideas that that kids may have and they want to make them long term and put them in positions to make decisions that will quite literally destroy their lives and I think that I'm just going to come out and say it if you're if you're a kid in school and you're you're trans or you think you're trans it's a fad and if you look at these the way school is made up there's there's always a fad in school that catches on in the public schools. And it's always some fad that is degrading. It's some fad that's demoralizing. Uh, it's something that only low thinking, low vibrational, you know, people would engage in. I remember when I worked in uh, property management in in Atlanta several years ago. And during that time, that was when it was popular to wear those little rubber wristbands that everybody was 
wearing. They first Nike first made those. It was uh, for Lance Armstrong. It was the uh, Live Live Strong rubber bracelets. They were yellow, and they got popular, and it became a fad. They started making them in all different colors, and everybody had some. I even had a couple. You know, they were they were they were pretty cool. Those rubber bracelets. I had a couple different ones. I used to wear them sometimes. But but one day I noticed uh, it was it was a hot day in Atlanta and it was a weekend and the pool was open. It was a Saturday. I was working. I'll never forget this. And it was a bunch of kids at the pool and it was some girls in the pool and they were wearing like, you know, multiple rubber bracelets on one hand that were different colors. It looked like a little rainbow on their hand. And. I was asking one of the kids, one of the one of the young guys, I was like, why are these girls wearing so many rubber bracelets? They can't figure out what the colors. And he said, oh, you don't know what that is? And I said, no. And he explained it to me. He said, these girls wear these colors to show how freaky they are in school. I said, what did you just say? He said, yeah, these girls, they wear these different colors to show you how freaky they are, how sexually advanced or what they're willing to do sexually. And every color represents something that they're down to do. It's a signal to other boys or even other girls that they're willing to engage in some kind of crazy sex act. And I was speechless, man. I mean, I was in my, I was in my twenties at the time. And I just couldn't wrap my head around that idea. But I look at kids nowadays being trans as a as that same type of fad that was popular in those high schools back then. And it's just cool to say that I'm trans or I'm non-binary. And you look at the statistics and the numbers of it going up in public schools among children in in public schools and it's it's unbelievable and so the school system would rather lean into that fad and foster the ideas behind that fad instead of making sure that kids can read making sure that kids can do math and this is you know where we need to target our frustrations because kids in these inner cities schools have been disserviced over and over again at the hands of teachers unions and the public school system. And then we get mad when somebody talks about school choice and the, and the possibility of being able to take your kid and put them in the best educational environment that they can possibly thrive in. But because it may take away from the public school, it's a, it's, it's a bad thing. And we need to, we, you know, they try to make it seem like school choice is racist because it affects kids in inner city schools because, you know, they may not they may not have the means to get to the other school. OK, so. Which environment is worse? You know what I mean? I've, I've talked to these teachers and they would rather the students stay in the system that they're currently in other than find a way to get to a better educational opportunity for them to thrive and excel and be prepared not just for college 
but for society at large. These teachers feel like that money for or for charter schools or for uh, private schools, it takes away from public schools. Well, public schools have already proven that they can't help our kids. And it's evident with this story out of Baltimore. And so if we want to do anything to look back at Black History Month, we need to pay homage and tribute to the emphasis on education that was that was placed on the black community, black excellence in the classroom. But we don't want to focus on that. We want to get triggered by hearing Morgan Freeman say, I think the idea of Black History Month is ridiculous. Meanwhile, your kid listening to the clip can't even spell ridiculous. It just really frustrates me how we're always reactionary. We're always on defense. We never have any plan in place to stop things that are bringing down our community. We just wait for something bad to happen and then we complain and moan about it. It's really aggravating. That's why I'm over it. That's why this is the final year that I'll be acknowledging Black History Month. Because it should be taught all year long. It should be emphasized all year long. And it's almost insulting because you look at these employers and these businesses, these these companies that want to create a section, you know, Amazon and uh, Prime Video and Netflix and, you know, all of these, these uh, you know, even on iTunes, they want to, for Black History Month, they'll have a section just for, you know, check out, here are some black films that you should check out. But as so, soon as March 1st hits, that section is gone. It's insulting. And we, we just, we pop the pacifier in our mouth and we take it out. March 1st, and we wait for something to something else to come in that we need to complain about. And I'm over it. I'm so I'm so over it. It's ridiculous. So you want to cry race. You want to cry that the white man is doing this and he's doing that. Cry about what's happening in your public schools. Complain about why your child can't read, why they can't do math why they're not prepared to contribute to society in any meaningful way. These are the things that we need to be angry about. So with that, I'm, I'm going to stop here because I, I honestly, I feel myself getting angry about, you know, all of this because what's happening in the public schools is, is very important to me because I have children in public schools and I'm thinking very seriously about, pulling them out to homeschool them. And the only reason why I haven't taken that step right now is because my kids just happen to be blessed enough to be in a good school that has not really embraced the foolishness that's happening, the foolishness that's been sanctioned by the school board in the city. But I do know that that foolishness is coming and I am going to have to contend with it. And so I think the best course of action for myself, like you know, these moms in the Chicago area, Detroit area, you know, that are taking their kids out of school to homeschool them. I think that that's that's the route for me and my children. And I'm going to tell you this. Here's a fun fact that a lot of you may not know. Black families are the number one 
ethnic group that are leaving public schools to homeschool their children. That is a fact. And so I think that there's a remnant of people out there. There's a remnant of us in our community that understand this concept and they're constantly, the light bulb is constantly going off and they're pulling their kids out. They're pulling their kids out and homeschooling them because they want to, they don't want, they don't want their children exposed to the foolishness and to the lack of education. And they don't want to put them in a position to be unprepared like all of these kids in Baltimore public school system are. So, yes, thank you for la- for listening. Thank you for tapping in. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for all the new listeners. I appreciate all of you. And like I say every week, no matter where you go and no matter what you do, just remember that common sense is uncommon. Peace. Peace.